Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Okay, um, so this morning, um, is a, it's going to be really great. I've been looking forward to this um, for quite some time. As we have been thinking about our summer and particularly this month and the things that we wanted to um, do together as a community, a lot of it was informed by um, the prayer requests and, and prayers and things that, that you all have written at the stations um, and also just kind of what we're I think we're all collectively seeing and feeling. I know like in, even in the news, like everywhere you go, people are talking about how we're having a mental health crisis, right? And there's been a lot of conversation about COVID and the pandemic and how, how much was revealed during that time. And um, it occurred to me this week, I was, I was thinking and praying about our time together, and the scripture from, it's all over the Gospels, but in Mark chapter 12, um, here's what it says. When Jesus is debating with the Pharisees one day, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important? Jesus answers, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And so if, if these are what Jesus has plainly said, this is the greatest thing that you can do with me and for me. Um, and we love because he loved us first. Wouldn't it make sense then that Jesus cares about all these things, what's going on in our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And it seems to me that we often separate those things, right? And we come to church and we think we come to church and we're going to deal with our heart and our soul at church. But our mind, our strength, that's something separate from who we are when we're in this room together. But I think what Jesus is saying there is that there's this whole person that he's calling unto himself. And this whole person that's been made in his image. And this whole person that his spirit wants to tend to as we walk with him all of the days that we have on this earth. And so... Today, we want to spend some time talking specifically about our minds and our mental health, but we know that of all those things, the heart, soul, mind, and strength, they all inform each other, and they all work together, and they all affect each other. But um, today's conversation is going to be based on, on, on us as a church and what mental health has to do with us. And I think for all of us in this room and online, and you know, we've all been we've all, this applies to all of us. And so I'd like to introduce you to someone you already know, Sam, our, our Sam Barnhart, our care pastor, and I'd like you to welcome Amy Alexander, the founder of the Refuge Center here in Franklin. Thank you. 
so as I mentioned earlier, the Refuge Center is one of our missional partners here at Journey. And so what we often do, Sam is our care pastor, and I'll let him share with you what he does here. But, um, you know, a church is very limited in, in what we can do for one another, what we can offer, but we have these wonderful partners throughout our community that we join with in, in a work that God is doing in and through them um, to, to provide all of the transformation transformational resources to to our community so Amy would you tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself and then Sam I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit too Mike I lost my headset from earlier I'm really glad to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me. I was a part of Journey Church back in the factory days, so our family really enjoyed being a part of this church a number of years back. Uh, my name is Amy Alexander. I'm the executive director and co-founder of the Refuge Center in Franklin. Some of you may be familiar with us, some of you may not. We started the Refuge Center in 2005, so this is our 17th year of providing services to our community. We offer therapy on a sliding fee scale based on income. The lowest session fee is $19. The highest is $125, but on average, clients pay around $58. And that allows services to be accessible and affordable to everyone. We've got 70 therapists, about 82 staff members total. And last year, we provided 37,000 counseling sessions for 4,700 people. I grew up in the Northwest in Spokane, Washington, but I've been here in Tennessee for a couple of decades, and my husband Dan and I have three kids who are 15, 10, and 7. Awesome. Sam? Yes? Tell us about yourself. Well, <laughs> my name is Sam Barnhart, and I, my title here is Care Pastor, and so um, that is a kind of a broad term. I um, do quite a few different things in my role. Um, but probably the biggest thing, and especially in this last season, is just sitting with people and kind of helping begin the process to, and, and uh, just to, to, to a point of health and, and healing. So. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I let Amy know that it's, we've, we're working on normalizing having questions here in church. And so, you know, our culture here is you can raise your hand, you can ask a question whenever you want at some point in the gathering. But we got, I think we got like 15 texts in yeah, the last we got, gathering. We got quite a few. Like so that. we know that this morning is going to probably prompt a lot of questions. So we're asking for this morning, if you would text your questions in so that we can get to some of them this morning, but the ones that we don't get to, we will for sure respond to you at some point early in this week, for sure. And also, um, if you need help, I mean, if this, this morning, hopefully this morning what you'll hear is that we all need help. And so if there's something, if there's a way in which we can help you and come alongside you, we want to invite you and open that door for you to ask for that. And if you are here in the room, if you're listening online, I do want to tell you that we are going to talk about some pretty sensitive things today, like trauma and abuse and suicide. We won't go super deep into those issues, but I do want to just tell you off the top that we are going to be talking about those things. So um, whatever you need to do to care for yourself in this moment, please, please do that. So Amy, would you start us off this morning by giving us a, um, a good working definition of what do we mean when we, talk, when we say the term mental health, when we use that term? 
Well, for decades, I think the general population's belief was that mental health was someone who was having a mental breakdown. It was someone who was broken. It was that person over there who wasn't okay, and maybe they needed to go to the hospital. But we know now, of course, the pandemic leveled the playing field with this conversation, but we know that this is not a niche issue. This is a human issue. 100% of us will deal with a mental health need. And it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter the size of house you live in. It does not matter uh, the title you have at work. This issue is very much relevant to you. So mental health is how we think, we act, and behave. It's how we handle stress and deal with our relationships. But I really like to talk about it as our relationship to our inner voice. So we all have an inner voice. Many times it's a voice that developed early in childhood based on our experiences. But it's that voice that wakes you up at 2 o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep. It's that voice that after a business deal doesn't go through, wakes you up and says, you're a failure. <clears throat> it's the voice after a divorce that wakes you up and says, no one will ever love you again. The voice after you've lost someone that you cared about, the voice that says you can't make it without them. So our relationship to that voice is uh, the definition of our, the quality of our mental health. That's really good. So we know that um, the pandemic revealed so much about us, who we are as individuals, who we are as communities. Um, what are you guys seeing at the Refuge Center? Yeah. Well, as you heard me mention, we're extremely busy. We receive on average about 70 referrals a week, but we saw a 20, 22% increase in services during that time. And generally, people were calling with marital crisis, I mean, being together a lot more in the same home, increased rates of anxiety, depression, helplessness. Of course, when we don't feel like we have agency over our schedule or our decisions, that sense of powerlessness triggers. It also reminds us of other times in our life. Maybe we didn't feel like we had choices. So past trauma was being revealed. We saw an increase in um, substance abuse. I think at one point in the pandemic, liquor sales were up by 70%. So many people began to drink during the day to cope with the powerlessness. But just about any issue was elevated as a result of these, what I'm calling 800 days of hard. Okay, globally, we all just lived through 800 days of hard. Pastor Rick Warren, he says, we didn't all go through that in the same vessel. Some people were on a yacht, some people were on a little dinghy, and some people were hanging onto a piece of driftwood. But nonetheless, 800 days of hard. I think I was on like one of those floaty devices that keeps running out of air and you have to keep blowing it and then that was me. <laughs> Sam, how about you? What have you been seeing? Well, very similar to what Amy's saying is uh, we just, you know, people, whether it's, well, the pandemic caused kind of our normal rhythms to, to change and shift and I think that threw all of us out of whack a little bit and so to cope with that, whether it is, uh, you know, Maybe it's addiction that you've been able to kind of keep under control because you've been busy enough at work or whatever. Or uh, All of those things have kind of come to the surface. And so very mm -hmm. similar uh, things that we're seeing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, another thing that kind of people have been talking about is, is how are our kids dealing, are our kids going to be okay? 
um, you know, we had to, kids had to come home from school and transition to school via Zoom. We had to send them back in masks. Um, I've heard people say to my kids, like, this is your 9-11. Like, this is your thing that, that's going to mark your generation. And, and so, you know, we, like, even just in our community, our, our, the things that we pray for every week within our community is anxiety, depression, um, addiction, relationship challenges, eating disorders. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And there's, um, particularly with our young people, too, we're seeing a, an elevation in things. So can you speak to that a little bit, Amy? Yeah, and I sent some data to Susie about this last night, but this really has been declared a national emergency in terms of the effect of the pandemic on minors. Um, what we saw was tremendous isolation. I mean, we all navigated that, but that creates something we call relational poverty. That's a Bruce Perry term, relational poverty, which can be more devastating than financial poverty. Um, I do think that there's a strong correlation between um, a child's anxiety and the level of anxiety that their parent demonstrated to them throughout this pandemic. And so it becomes very important that we monitor and manage our conversations and media influences because your kid is seven or 14. They don't have the same coping skills that you do. They don't have the same adult brain. So we do have to be very mindful of what they're internalizing. Well, the, the stats that you sent me, um, you, it said in 2019, 13% of adolescents reported having a major depressive episode a 60% increase from 2007. Uh, emergency room visits by children and adolescents in that period also rose sharply for anxiety, mood disorders, and self-harm. Whoops. Um, and for people ages 10 to 24, suicide rates stable from 2000 to 2007 leaped nearly 60% by 2018, according to the CDC and prevention. And we want to tackle this head on, and you guys are going to be a part of that in September. It's a Friday in September, I believe, September the 24th. We're going to host a conference here at Journey called Equip, How to Help Our Youth Navigate the Mental Health Crisis. We're going to address it from several perspectives. We're going to talk about um, tools and tips to help kids with grief and loss. We're going to look at how to recognize trauma in kids. We have a cardiologist coming to talk about ACE scores. If you guys are familiar with adverse childhood experience, those scoring mechanisms. We have a former um, Chicago Cubs Major League Baseball player who's very passionate about using sports to teach emotional intelligence. So we have a wide range of topics. It'll be from 9 to noon, and it's just $25, and Journey's hosting that. So we hope you'll participate. Yeah. Because yeah. um, since we're on this topic, I, I just have a question. The question is, how do you balance proper parenting versus anxiety creation for the child? Yeah. Nowadays, it seems any expectation at all is too much. Is that any expectation of the child? I, I, we'll go with Maybe. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think really, how do you balance proper parenting versus anxiety creation for the child is really yeah. the, the question. That feels like a really big question. Yeah. I bet we could spend a lot of time with that. Okay. I guess the perspective I'll take is do your own work. 
Okay, as parents, as adults, we are responsible for owning and managing our own emotions. We're not intended to work those out through our kids. And that question would be the perfect thing to take to therapy. You know, that question probably is a result of your own experiences, your own challenges with boundaries, maybe the things your parents <laughs> said and did to you. So I, I think that's a perfect therapeutic topic. Great, thank you. Um, of the painful statistics that we just read, um, there's, there's also our own Tennessee statistics and, and what's been going on in our own, in our own backyard. Can you yeah. speak to that a bit? Yeah, I work with our mayor and our police chief in Franklin. We started something called Find Hope Franklin, and that is because our suicide rates are very serious in Williamson County. From 2019 to 2020, our suicide rates increased by 42%. And in 2020, every person that took their life in the city of Franklin was a man. In Williamson County, 93% of the suicides were men. Um, it is typically Caucasian males between the ages of 35 and 65, usually by gunshot. And I get the report from the Tennessee Department of Health because of this committee. And when you look at who it is that is reaching this point in their life, that they are this desperate, we're talking about CEOs, CFOs, high-achieving people. And it just begs the question, what's going on? I mean, think of all the influence and affluence we have in our community. Companies are moving their headquarters here. We have our kids in the best schools. You know, why in the world would these men who have so much success reach this point? And I think when you're struggling and you are in a community that looks like this, it can feel so lonely. I mean, for sure, you begin to think, I'm the only one. Everyone else seems fine. I talk about this sometimes, that church missions programs tend to focus on the least, the last, and the lost. And I always contend that our church seats and pews are filled with people who feel like the least, the last, and the lost on the inside. And our men are really hurting, and they're not... Um, finding safe places to talk about that, and that's something we've got to work to change. Well, uh, just along those lines, the question is, what do you think is the biggest obstacle for men in reaching out for therapeutic help? I think it's still new for men to think about maybe sitting with a group of other men or sitting one-on-one -on -one with a counselor and opening up. That's terrifying. Maybe I don't have the, the words to even talk about how I feel, or the skills, I don't want to come across as weak, um, and I just haven't practiced it. So shame, yeah. skills, but, but something needs to change. And I'm seeing a generation of, of women, too, rising up that are doing their own work. A lot of women are, like, really owning their stuff and doing their work, and they want a man doing the same thing. They want a partner on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I definitely know, in, at least in our context, you know, I feel like men have been more willing to step into that recently, and that's yep. that's. I mean, I'm I'm happy for that, you know, to be able to kind of dive into some of their work. So Journey's always been a church that promoted that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can Can you actually like anon maybe anonymously share? There was a couple here in the last service who like came forward, and they were so excited because of what's happened in their lives the last over the last year. And I mean, that can you just share a little bit of that, like what? 
that, that story in terms of how yeah. they came forward and that refuge center was helpful to them? Well, there's a, there's a number of those. I know, there's a lot of people. Which is awesome. So, well, the next, it kind of goes into the next question of okay. how do we as a church, like with what we offer one another in terms of the way we care for each other in, in groups, around the table, in pastoral care ministry, care team ministry, how do we work with like clinicians like Amy, right? Yeah. And so there was this couple that they actually separated for a while and um, they came and they worked with you a bit and right. then they had their own counselors at the refuge mm -hmm. center. Yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yep, yep. yep. Can't so, say names. <laughs> <yeah>. Confidentiality. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this couple kind of, they were struggling mm -hmm. and had decided to, to separate, but I mean, you know, the end goal was we want we want to be married. We just don't want to be married like we're married right now. And so um, so we spent some time just kind of working through how that would look. Mm -hmm. um, and in that partnership was Refuge Center, and they did counseling together as a couple with a with a counselor, and then they had individual counseling as well. And then uh, as the church, we just kind of came came along side them through that process and just to offer encouragement and support and, and whatever, you know, whatever we were able to offer with that. So uh, it's awesome. They are back together now and working towards uh, a new marriage. And yeah. That's exciting. That's really good. Yeah. Thank God for that. Absolutely. Um, so in it, you know, we, we talked about this, this thing earlier where like it's, you come into this room and you think this is where I come to work on my heart and my soul but we separate that from the mind and the body work. So Amy, could you, could you speak to that in light of like, that was a great example. Can you speak to how and why the church should care about the mind and the, and the strength and, and how did those things work together? Well, your opening, I think, did a great job of speaking to that. We are body, mind, soul, and spirit. God did give us emotions for a reason. They're not meant to run our lives, but they are meant to inform us like little messengers. And we um, all come with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That's celebrate recovery language, every single one of us. And we will all suffer at some point. That is inevitable. Even Jesus' disciples struggled with anxiety. One of his disciples took their own life. So being in the presence of Jesus doesn't eliminate hardship. It doesn't also give us all the answers or cures. It just means he's with us in it. But uh, because this affects 100% of humans, I hope the church recognizes that this is a topic we need to be addressing. And Journey, has, again, has always done such a great job of that. Thanks, Amy. Mm -hmm. um, going back to the 800 days of hard, um, can you talk more about that and, and kind of how do you how do you come alongside people in that? And what are some things that you what are some tools that you encourage people with? Yeah. So I'll cover three things here. I'm going to give you some content. So if you take notes, this would be a good time to type out some things that resonate with you. The first thing is that you need a team. We all do. We're not meant to do life alone. Research says we need four to seven people who are iron sharpens iron people. There are blind spot checkers. Another statistic is that we all have 3.4 blind spots. So that's the stuff that everyone else knows about you and you don't know about yourself. And so, you know, at, for a season it might be a therapist. For another season it might be 
a life coach or a spiritual director, your small group, the podcast you're listening to, but you need to be intentional about putting people at your table who can help you grow as a human. The second thing I want to mention is this term called innervism. Is that a term that anybody here is familiar with? Okay. I am now from, from now first service. service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when there is crisis in the world, many times our first response is to rush into it. And so we go to rallies and we post on Twitter and we share articles. And there's tremendous value in that. A activism is about confronting the evils of the world. But sometimes that posture is reactive. And sometimes it's avoidance of the inner work that we need to do. So innervism is taking responsibility for how I behave. It's recognizing my own flawed nature so I can forgive others of their imperfections also. It's walking the talk. It's being the change. It's healing from the inside out. Sometimes the change we long to see in the world is an inside job, all right? So doing our personal work becomes extremely important, especially after 800 days of hard. Okay, and now on the practical side, I want to give you four ways to get radical. We just lived through radical times. If you go to the grocery store and you want to balance the scales, if you put a pound of bananas on one side, you got to put a pound of sweet potatoes on the other side. 800 days of heart on this side, what do we put on this side of the scale? Four things to match radical with radical. The first one is radical grace. <clears throat> radical grace. Very few people are at their best right now. Very few people are thriving. You're probably not at your best. And so the people you love are doing and saying things they wouldn't normally do. That They're acting in ways that are out of character. But being able to extend radical grace, because the truth is the next day that might be you. So just an abundance of grace right now. The second one is radical boundaries. Brene Brown did a study on the most compassionate people in the world. And one thing that surprised her was the most compassionate people had the best boundaries. That's because when you can say no, when you have a good sense of what your capacity is, that leaves room in here to be a kind and empathetic person. So boundaries, say no more often. The third one is radical rest. This experience has taken a toll on our nervous system. Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. The energy of our experiences lives in our cells and it has to be discharged. And so because of the weight we've experienced, we, we just need to rest more. So if you typically took a 20-minute power nap on Sundays, give yourself two hours now. Use all of your vacation time. If you have the ability to take a sabbatical, take it. So more rest. And then my favorite one, which is radical adventure and play. So radical adventure is your trip to the Grand Tetons, to Big Sur, to Glacier National Park. It's putting yourself in places where you feel very, very small. I just got back from Alaska last week. And you're standing in these places recognizing God's majesty and bigness and power. And the truth is that some of us have gotten too big in our own lives. We feel too responsible for the people we care about. And so being viscerally reminded of God's bigness is important. The play part is how do you counteract hard? Well, you have fun. 
So the more you can play right now, the better. If you have a chance to say yes to something fun, say yes. I sometimes tell the story that a couple months ago, I guess, my neighbor knocked on my door and had a really horrible toe infection. I was limping, so kind of made it to the door, and he said, hey, somebody just gave me two free tickets to Justin Bieber concert. Do you want to go? And I probably normally might not have gone. You know, I was going to run late and all that. But I thought, I got to practice what I preach. <laughs> a limp in the, limp to the auditorium, you know, I mean, it's, it's not the most convenient time. But I thought, i got to practice what I preach. Give me the tickets. You know, I'll take my 10-year-old. So saying yes to as many fun things as you possibly can. That's so good. Well, we talked about that on the phone, and it's been in my head ever since we talked about that. And, you know, like, it, you know, I'm not going to make it to, like, Yosemite or something like that this summer, but we got invited to a Nashville soccer game recently, last week, and so I said yes when I would probably prefer to watch TV and sit on the couch, but I said yes, and we went, and I remember just sitting in the stands and all the people around and just thinking about just being so aware that I'm just like one of many people in this world, one of many in this community, and it just really does put our per, it sets our perspective in the in the right place. So yeah. that's really great advice, Amy. Yeah, can you say those one more time, just so everybody has them? So it's radical. Put you on the spot here. Radical yeah. grace. <laughs> yeah. right. Radical rest. Yes. Radical boundaries. Yes. And radical play and adventure. You got it. Yes. You know okay. It. Good deal. <laughs> All right. So we got those. Everybody got those. Those are good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Tim. Awesome. So. Um, can you also talk a little bit more um, just about how, you know, the, the body keeps a score stuff and how the stress lives in our cells? And I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit mm -hmm. more about that. And Sam, also, you have some stuff to say about that, too. Yes, the energy of our experiences is stored in the cells of our body. <clears throat> and we have to find a way to discharge or cathart that energy. There's some really cool videos that you can access of um, like a small animal in the forest being hunted by a predator. And as it recognizes it's being hunted, it will, it has the capacity to roll over and play dead. And it can drop its heart rate to an almost undetectable level to where the predator is sniffing at it and thinks it is dead and not worth, you know, attacking. And after that predator leaves, this animal bounces up and runs as fast as it can through the forest. And what it's doing is expelling the energy of nearly being killed. So animals know how to do this. Creatures know after something scary and hard, I have to push that energy out of my body. Animals don't deal with trauma. They just go back to, you know, berries and foraging and whatever else because they know how to release it as soon as they possibly can. But we don't do that. We hunch over and scroll. We take a drink. You know, we, we do everything but cathart the energy. So catharsis can happen through having a conversation with someone. But movement is very important for our healing. Um, it's been said that immobility is at the root of trauma. So we have to move as much as we can. Yeah. What do you see in that, Sam? It's seeing what, exactly what? Like in terms of, of, of us holding our trauma and our emotional pain in yeah. our bodies. Well, I mean, I think it plays out just in our physicalness even, mm -hmm. right? Like um, just conversations recently where 
someone who was really struggling with their mental health, it was obvious because it was playing out in their physicalness yeah. as well, right? So um, I think sometimes we spend so much energy trying to focus on, on one area that we, we forget about the other, but they're all, uh, they're all at play together. So um, yeah, I think that can just, that can be a, a clue as to uh, deeper things that are happening even. I feel like one of the gifts that, that the whole COVID situation gave to us is that if you got sick, you had to stay home. Yeah. And, and prior to that, it seems like we would get sick and we would just see how far we could push through while we were sick. And so I feel like what it's done for us, it's, it's, it's helped us be more in tune with like, if I am sick, if I have pain, like where is that coming from and what is it telling me? Yeah. Because often what's happening in our bodies can point us to what's actually going on in our hearts and our minds, like any pain that we feel like it could be deeply connected to something else going on. Yeah. So for both of you guys, how do we know when the church is supposed to refer to professional counseling? So, I mean, I, I'm sure you have lots you could say about this um, <laughs> in terms of what you see coming from people's experiences in church coming into your office. And then, Sam, for you, like, where is that line for you as the care pastor here? Right. So, um, I, I kind of, I, some of you maybe heard me describe it this way before, maybe you haven't, but I, I describe my role as triage. Like, if you've ever been to the hospital or the emergency room and, right, there's, you, they have a nurse or something that kind of walks you through this, this process. Like, they catch it, and then they help direct you to the person who can help, to, to the expert. And so, uh, for some people, they just need someone to talk to. And we have a, we have a, a team of people, a care team that, we, uh, that are available. Um, but also, some, I mean, sometimes they just want to talk to, you know, a pastor or something. So, I'm always available uh, for that. But... Uh, I think my th probably the the biggest part of my role is is helping people connect with the person that's going to be able to take them even to that next uh, that next level of of care, and so yeah, so I catch a lot of a lot of things that are coming in, and then my goal is to help connect them to the person that can most effectively help. Yeah. So we love the quote, the glory of God is man fully alive, right? And counseling is a place to navigate the burdens, barriers, and shame stories that prevent us from feeling fully alive. So on the practical side, who is counseling good for? Counseling is good for people whose typical coping stick skills aren't working anymore. You're finding that you're in a relationship and you've tried all the conflict resolution stuff you ever learned in your grad program and it's just not cutting it anymore. Um, it's for people who have a lot of shame and can't seem to get past that. Susie and I were talking just before we came up about the fact that in our churches, many times when we're struggling, um, we give each other these automatic responses of, well, check out Hebrews 12 too, right? And that's great. But for the person on the receiving end, sometimes they can feel very dismissed. But they do it. So they're praying at night. They're doing devotionals in the morning. They're involved in a Bible study. They're coming to church. But they, they can't find their way through this hard thing. They are still locked in a battle with their addiction with pornography or alcohol. Or they cannot seem to deal with the rage they feel towards their oldest son. And as much as they pray, they can't find their way through it. And so when the only answer is get in the word and pray about it, and you are trying, you become 
become desperate, you just think, what's wrong with me? Does God hear me? Am I not worthy of healing? Am I too broken? And so we really have to have a place to talk through some of that. Counseling is for people who are struggling to cope. So if you're finding that you're not eating or sleeping well, you have excessive anger, panic attacks, or you are in acute grief, counseling is a good place for that. And finally, people who want to improve their relational skills. This would be more of a proactive measure. What we know is that if we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it. You know this? If we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it. We will unconsciously reenact all the patterns of things we were raised with. Counseling helps us be more congruent. Our insides match our outsides. Our values match our actions. And when we have congruence, we have peace. Good. Yeah. Do you have any, any more? Okay. Okay, so... Um, I think one of the things, you said a lot of really great, important things, but the whole, like, um, just read your Bible and pray more situation, it's really helpful at times. Like, there are times where, like, I literally need to read my Bible and, and pray more. I need to sit with God. I need to sit in silence. I need to um, practice all these wonderful um, ways that God has given me to connect with him. And the anxiety is still very present, and the depression is still very present, and I still want to hurt myself at times. What are some things that, um, that we as a community, as a, a faith-building community with one another, what are some things that are, are helpful besides those things? Just read your Bible and pray more. Yeah, I would go back to the list I referenced earlier, which is maybe find a counselor. It might be more of a life coach if you're looking at a life transition. Um, it might be a spiritual director, which you introduced me to someone in the congregation earlier who's We have a whole a spiritual, list of spiritual directors list, that we refer people to. Yeah, mm -hmm. it might be um, the daily practices you're using. Some people really like mindfulness apps like Headspace. There's a spiritual mm -hmm. practice called the Examine that I find really helpful. Mm -hmm. So just increasing the tools in your toolbox. What about some phrases that we can use? Can you give us some like practical things? Like, like one like one of the reasons why we do the table is because you know Sam's our care pastor, but he's not he can't possibly care for every single person in this room, and and we're all called to be people who are caring and loving and compassionate and empathetic towards one another. And we, one of our philosophies here at Journey is that we do church. Um, with each other. We're not doing it for you. We're doing it with you, right? And so when we come to a table on the first Sunday of the month and we have dinner together and we start to share our lives together and we see how um, we're, what we're not doing well, what, what can you give us some like practical things we can say to each other? Yeah, if you have a friend or somebody in your small group or table that comes to you and says, yeah, my wife and I are in a hard place. Like, I'm not attracted to her anymore, or I just just raged at her last night. You know, your first inclination is probably going to be to problem solve, maybe. Just a quick kind of fix it, because you feel anxious about the amount of stress they're under. That's not always tremendously helpful. So just, uh, I sent Susie a whole list of things you could say instead of trying to fix it. But a few things are, tell me more about that. What's that been like for the two of you? 
um, you can just say, you are important in my life, and I don't have the answers, but I am here for you. Um, tell me what's going on at home, or I can't begin to imagine what you're feeling, but I'm not going anywhere, right? So stay out of fix-it mode and more in just a curious, supportive posture. And you use this term, it's like CPR, but it's QPR. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yes, QPR is question, persuade, refer. It's a set of questions that will help you if someone's having a mental health crisis, especially if you think they might harm themselves. So our mayor here in Franklin, Ken Moore, his goal is to have every person in the city of Franklin trained in QPR. And so we're offering those trainings at churches all over completely for free. And we'd you know, love to host a few here. Yeah. So question, persuade, and refer. Amy, I'd love you to share just a little bit about the, kind of the, the check-in questions for ourselves. Um, I, I don't remember what you called them, but the, what we, like when we're going through something like to understand what, what's happening. Yeah. 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 You know, on any given day, I may see six or seven clients and they may all be there for something different. I might have a mom who recently lost a child. I might have someone in the entertainment industry who's dealing with a lot of insecurity and comparison. Um, I may have a woman who's dealing with domestic violence. And there's a set of three questions that I could ask anybody and typically it's pretty helpful. So I would hand them a piece of paper and put three prompts on the paper, give them about five minutes minutes to do a quick writing exercise and the three questions are I feel well, not questions but prompts I feel I want I need I feel I want I need so regardless of your situation you know you can take a moment to pause I feel I want I need and usually it does bring quite a bit of clarity another option is to check in um, you know what do I feel what do I need what does my head say what does my heart say and what does my gut say and sometimes you get three different responses from head heart and gut very good do we have a, we have to maybe yeah, one more question yeah we we've got quite a few okay. um, let me see oh decided to freeze up right now Um, here's one that says, how do we balance the phrase, God takes away your anxiety, or pray, prayer can heal you of this, while also recognizing that mental illness is not always healed by just a relationship with God? You know, when you're a therapist, you learn how to hold two things at once. That's actually my definition of emotional maturity, is being able to hold two hard things at the same time. And that's really, I think, the answer here is that it's both and. Yes, God is our greatest healer. Yes, when we sit with him, it changes our perspective. Um, but there are certain things that we go through in life that are so complex or complicated that we need someone to sit across from us. There's a quote that says, trauma is not so much what happens to us, but what happens inside of us in the absence of an empathetic witness. You tracking that? It's not even the thing that happened. It's what happened in me because no one saw it. No one knew how hard it was. No one knew how devastated I was. And so just the presence of an empathetic witness is so important. Thank you. Well, sadly, we are out of time, and we could be doing this all day. But um, thank you for being here. Would you guys thank Amy?
and as the band comes back up, we do want to allow some time for us to continue singing and also reflecting. Um, when we sit in a space like this and talk about these things, it's important that we also just have a few moments while we're here and we've allotted this time to just sit with God and ourselves and, and um, enter into his presence, knowing that he's with us. Um, the three questions that Amy offered us that I think are really helpful is what do I feel, what do I want, and what do I need? And maybe it's been a while since you've asked those questions of yourself. Maybe you've never even known that it's okay to ask those questions and to, to answer them. So um, if we would, just close your eyes and um, take, a, take another breath and take a moment to ask yourself those questions. What do you feel? What do you want? What do you need? Every week at Journey, we conclude our services with um, our stations that are around the room, and we offer the Lord's Supper. So if you're at home watching online, we encourage you to grab whatever bread and cup elements that you might have. But the table is such an important symbol of our invitation to return to Christ again and again. And this invitation that we can come as we are with what we have and have not and what we're walking through, what we're feeling, all of our brokenness. And we can come knowing that we're fully received and that we're fully welcome. And when we receive these elements, the bread symbolizing Jesus's body, his embodiment with us, the person of Christ with us in our lives right now, and when we drink the cup of his, his sacrifice and his enduring love for us that redeems and restores, we drink that even when we don't fully believe maybe, but we ask him to make it real with us. Hebrews 6 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So as we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, we can also be reminded that there's nowhere that you are in your mind, in your heart, in your, in your body, in your soul, nowhere that you're going that Jesus hasn't gone already. And he's with us now. 
And so as we reflect and sing and come to the table, maybe you write on the prayer cards your prayers that you're feeling. If you need help and you want to leave us your name and contact number, you can do that. If you want to write what you're feeling needing and wanting and you want us to pray alongside you for those things and believe God for those things for you, we would be honored to. So let's use this time to be with Jesus.